You know, there is a, a quote from Colin Powell that uh, I just I absolutely love it. And you say trite, and sometimes you know when you quote other people, it, it may come off as as uh, not just not being genuine. But I, I really I really think this sums up being a successful salesperson the best way. And he said, there are no secrets to success. It is the result of preparation, hard work, and learning from failure. Episode 66 at Winning at Work. I'm your host, Tony Moore, and this episode is sponsored by Join Us Search Group. We are a national food and beverage executive search firm specializing in sales, marketing, operations, and innovation. And today have I got a podcast that I have just been waiting for more than a month to edit and drop for you guys. I have Jason Kidwell. He's the vice president of sales from Trogues Brewing Company classic story of a salesman who worked his way all the way up to the top of the food chain is now VP of sales. Great amount of information about the trends happening in the world of beer, particularly craft beer and the market pressures that face beer companies, the regulations, the challenges, sales strategy, distribution strategy, talent strategies. Really, we cover a large gamut of information. Jason was so easy to talk to. I could have talked to him for two hours easily. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did. Jason, welcome to the program today, sir. Thank you, Tony. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, there is a, uh, I'm not sure if there's a, a revolution going on with beer. It might just be because I'm focusing more on beer. It seems like there is one. Um, but I have to say, when I was doing a little more research on you guys, uh, the company culture, the vibe really stood out as different. And so before we really kind of jump into your superpower and, and how you, you know, win at work, I want you to tell people, a little bit more about uh, Troeg's Brewing Company. Give us a little more of the of the story. Sure. Well, Troeg's is thank you. See right there. I've already I've already you know. <laughs> That's all right. It's I yes. I was talking to a, another another gentleman and uh, I couldn't even say Asahi correctly. So you know, there's <laughs> a, this is all part of the learning experience. I, you are not the first, nor will you be the last. We get everyone from tro like trogs, like, <laughs> like the old band. You got tro eggs. Uh, we have oh a beer my called, god! We have a beer called Troganator, and people sometimes would pronounce it Trojanator. <laughs> Uh, the, if the t this is how you want to start a podcast, putting your foot <laughs> right in your mouth. Folks, this is how we roll at winning at work. You know, we're vulnerable. <laughs> we make mistakes. All right, let's get into Trogues. Tell us uh, what's the backstory because it is, it is really cool and the culture there is very different. Our, 
our story is 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 probably at this point in the beer industry not super unique, but when we got going, it certainly was. Uh, we're founded by two brothers, Chris and John, back in '97 uh, was when we sold our first beer. Uh, the the brewery was actually founded in '96, but they mark '97 as as our really foundation date because that was when they sold their first beer. Uh, we, we are still run by the two of them. They are here at the brewery every day. They are um, really the lifeblood, and they set the tone of, um, of our company. Uh, it's, it's really uh, a company that is focused on just producing world-class beer as consistently as absolutely possible, and I feel as though uh, all of the employees that work here are truly committed to that end. I think it's hard to get everybody pulling in the same direction if you don't have good leadership or they don't buy into what you're doing. So there's obviously a lot more going on behind the scenes that people understand the why, the purpose. You know, it. yes, you want to put out a, a fantastic beer, but I got a feeling from the – just from the website too that, you know, you, you guys care. You know, that this is not just a uh, – this is not just a commercial enterprise. No, that it's it's very true, and I think a lot of that culture really it, it stems from our early days, where uh, just to get things up and running, the brothers would recruit family and friends, anybody they could get to show up to help them bottle beer on weekends, uh, put it into cases, and you know, very very grassroots from the beginning, and and I don't believe that Chris and John have have lost that. Um, in the 20 plus years that we've been in business. I mean, we've grown from two people to almost 250 uh, when you in, really include all aspects of the business, which we brew all of our beer in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And uh, most people would probably know that for a couple of other reasons. Uh, Hershey, that is, uh, whether it's for the uh, the roller coasters and uh, the theme park or just the pure fact that uh Hershey's chocolate is based here, uh, but in the town, a, right? I mean, you, you guys are yeah. a. Uh, you mean you guys are a, a destination, so you, you do have the benefit of having lots of folks. We that are, are that are there, and they see your your, your brewery. That's absolutely one hundred percent true. We are very fortunate. Hershey gets about over seven million visitors a year, and we have figured out that we've gotten well over half a million people through our doors. Uh, now, the last time that we did that count was at twenty nineteen, pre pandemic, of course, uh, and things shifted quite a bit last year. But uh, you know, we are, uh, and it's one of the reasons why the brothers started the brewery here is. We're three hours to New York City, two to D.C., an hour and a half to Baltimore, uh, an hour and a half to Philadelphia. Basically, uh, all of our footprint is easily within a day's drive. And there are so many people along the East Coast that have connections to Pennsylvania uh, that it has certainly made it easier for us to sell our beer. But, you know, going back to that question about why that's very funny that you bring that up because that's something that it's really i think um a, a, a huge part of of who we are because the brothers chris and john ask it all the time ask the why why are we doing this why does it matter why is that important and we have to establish and uncover the why before we can move forward and feel confident about whatever that next step might be 
it sounds like it's just kind of embedded into the culture. And this is a kind of a side comment, but you talk about going through the establishment of selling the first beer into now and having over 250 employees. And it's probably, probably fluctuates and get even more when you get into the distributors and all the people that you're touching, you know, it's, it's, it's quite large. There has to be for all companies, a concern that your culture gets diluted. And I know that's not necessarily the topic today, but it's one that I imagine that the brothers and, you know, you, you guys who are running the company, you know, it probably is, is front and center of your mind. It is. And if you look really throughout all the layers of the company, we've got a lot of people that started back when the brewery was originally in Harrisburg and uh, we made the move to Hershey in 2011. So, you know, to, to look back at a, especially through a company that uh, has been in business for well over 20 years, is it 250 people now in a burgeoning industry, as you touched on at the very beginning of the podcast. I mean, when I think when I started with the brewery back in 2010, there were about 3,500 breweries in the country. Now there are well over 8,000. And it seems that every town has a brewery, if not two or three. And to have the sort of retention that we do and the number of people who have worked for the brewery for seven years, 10 years, even 12, 15, it's pretty remarkable in an industry that has such a tremendous amount of turnover and opportunities for growth. Yeah, and I was just thinking about that footprint of kind of where you're located and just within an hour and a half or two hours from almost every major northeastern city. That sounds like that's also a little bit of your strategy in terms of delivering too, right? Uh, I know we were kind of talking off air and uh, you mentioned that y'all get down into North Carolina as far as Asheville, but then you go a little further west and then you get to some of those dry counties and you don't go any further. But that seems to be, you know, your strategy is, you know, within a day or so that fits into your footprint. Uh, yep, you hit it on the head once again. Uh, really, it's it's been a, a big part of how we do business, where we do business, why we do business. And the first rule of thumb is we want to keep our beer as fresh as possible. And by not overextending ourselves uh, and maintaining a footprint that is effectively 10 states plus D.C., New Massachusetts is as far north as we go. Ohio or Asheville, North Carolina, depending upon how technical you want to get with geography, are as far west, and then North Carolina is as far south. We're able to manage that supply chain uh, much easier and really have a better sense of where our beer is. And, um, you know, ultimately we've taken the philosophy of we'd much rather grow, go deeper than go wider. Um, especially in today's beer world where there are so many options, there are so many new breweries popping up and consumers are just unbelievably inquisitive and interested in, in the newness of, of beer. And, and of course people have that local pride and they want to support what's in their backyard. So, you know, you have a much harder time being relevant. I mean, the further away you go. Yes. Um, going in, up in the North Georgia mountains or you go just – we do like to do a long bike ride. You end up in a brewery someplace, and they're always kind of featuring the little you know, local brewery. And 
to take a, a brand that's, you know, in Hershey that obviously is, is not, not local to say to Georgia, also, well, let's say North Carolina, you know, how do you keep that brand relevant, particularly when, you know, every, every, every season you can come out with different flavors and cans change, you know, because a lot of times you just go and look at the grocery store and you're overwhelmed. It's, 20, 30 cases to choose from and all the, you know, the marketing has gotten really, really slick. So I, I know a big part of your role as VP sales is that you obviously do work and connect with uh, and drive those marketing initiatives. So uh, another um, curveball for you, but I mean, what's the strategy? I mean, how do you keep that marketing uh, on point? It's constant. You know, we're lucky to have a sales team that it seems is, has boundless energy and, and pride for the brewery. Uh, we've got a marketing team that's done a very nice job of, of crafting our message and staying very authentic to who the brewery is, not trying to be someone we aren't. Um, but on top of that, it's just knowing that, and, and I think this is true probably for any salesperson worth their salt, is they knew that whatever they've done in the past is the past. It's always about what you're accomplishing that day and the day ahead of you. And so uh, tapping into that, that boundless energy and, and that enormous pride that our employees have, it's always looking for that person who isn't familiar with our beer, who maybe has heard of us but has never tried us. And just trying to win them over or essentially welcome them into the fold of Trogues fans and, and share with them what we think is is very quality beer and and. and based on the portfolio and the breadth of the portfolio that we have, that we can probably find something for just about any beer drinker. Do you guys still do tastings and, and that kind of guerrilla marketing idea when you want to good, you know, what, you know, uh, widen out a market? That's funny uh, that you asked that, you know, uh, prior to the pandemic, I would say that was one of, if not the biggest, um, activities that our sales team engaged in after just physically visiting accounts and trying to strengthen the relationships with that exist with our current wholesalers. Uh, we, we really do believe, and especially with uh, the explosion of, of all the new breweries in the U.S., that there's no better way to influence a customer's decision than by getting your beer into their hands. And so... You know, we work hand in hand, whether it's with small independent beer stores, mom and pop owned, uh, as they call them in Pennsylvania, beer distributors, uh, convenience stores, or our grocery chain partners. Uh, we are constantly trying to sample and get our beer into people's hands so that we can unlock the secret that is Trogues. Well, and because this is kind of getting into your superpower, which is, and, and I before you even say this is trite or this sounds like common sense, there it, it, these things need to be heard from different perspectives. Because even though yes, we're going to get into you know bu uh, building relationships, everyone has a different idea of how to do it. So I don't want you to think that this is common. It's really not. Some people really are so transactionally minded that they and they've heard, yes, I need to build a relationship. But hearing how you do it, how you build that 
philosophy in with your sales team. That's what people really need to be hearing. And that's why I thought I could kind of segue into that because the tastings and the guerrilla marketing, that's really how you would build those relationships, you know, pre-pandemic. So how do you do that now? You know, there is a, a quote from Colin Powell that uh, I just I absolutely love it. And you say trite, and sometimes you know when you quote other people, it, it may come off as as uh, not, just not being genuine. But I, I really I really think this sums up being a successful salesperson the best way. And he said there are no secrets to success. It is the result of preparation, hard work, and learning from failure. And I think all of those elements can help build just a tremendous salesperson. You know, the first being that if you're not prepared, then you're most likely going to fall flat on your feet or something's going to happen that's just going to eradicate your ability to be successful. The hard work thing, I mean, I'm sorry, but there are so few instances of people who aren't successful without being just tremendously hard workers. And then also the aspect of, you know, you can't be afraid to fail, but if you do fail, learn something from it at least. And you know, as that relates to my team, the first thing is I would never ask them to do something that I wouldn't do myself. And I started out as our, uh, first sales rep in Massachusetts right after the brewery opened that market. And so I, I know exactly what my team is encountering, um, even though it's it's been a while since I was on the street on a regular basis. I mean, actually, I just got back uh, a day or so ago from two days out in the market with my Pittsburgh team. And now that we're able to, to really get out and, and visit with our, our wholesalers and our retail partners, it's absolutely critical to be able to maintain that, that perspective that my team is seeing. But having walked the walk, um, I, I feel I can talk the talk. And so, you know, putting them in a position to succeed is obviously important, but being able to relate to what their experiences are and their struggles are allows me to be empathetic and hopefully anticipate some of the challenges they're going to have. So that's where the preparation comes in. That's where the hard work element of, you know, we, we ask our team to, to be in front of and conduct close to 25 events every quarter. So you're talking, you know, two to three hours, a couple of days a week where they're either not with their families or they're not home because, you know, the best time to do samplings or do events are, are going to be around the time when people are eating dinner or getting ready for uh, plans for the weekend, you know, and it, it definitely interferes. So there's a level of commitment that's required. Now, I, I think the team does understand the payback that they get and the satisfaction of being able to influence a customer's decision. Uh, but at the same time, I also want them to take chances in the right context, of course, but being able to, you know, let them understand, hey, you know, go ahead, let's give it a, let's give it a try. And also then checking in with them afterwards and say, okay, well, how do you think that went? Uh, and if it didn't go well, well, what would you do differently next time? 
Yeah, I think they have to have that why pretty well figured out as to, you know, why would they be giving up time with their family to go and do these events, as you say, that don't necessarily happen between, you know, nine and five, Monday through Friday. That's it's absolutely it. I mean, the uh, the beer industry and and I've worked in the I worked in the corporate world for 11 years before I got into beer. It, it, it's not a nine to five job. It you know, it's something you get into because you genuinely have an interest in beer. Maybe it's the flavor combinations. Maybe it's the history. Maybe there's some sort of a sentimental thing with uh, family members. Maybe it's it's in your family, but it's that devotion to beer, but also the feeling of connectedness. I mean, there's definitely an element that uh, breweries certainly help grow communities. Um, you know, and I think we talked about that offline as well. But th- there are a whole bunch of factors that I think ultimately come back to most beer people, especially beer salespeople, are, are people people. <laughs> and they enjoy being with other people's company. I mean, beer at its base is a social, it's a social uh, device. Yeah, and you you're, you bring people together. And listen, I, I think you should touch on what we did talk about offline because you talk about the why when you help a town establish. Well, I won't call it a brewery because you're not really establishing other breweries, but when you're providing that anchor or that that beverage that fits perfectly in with maybe the menu, and that helps. It, it, it helps us. It can help a struggling town. I mean, people may not understand that, but it's it's quite vital. Man, you can speak to it much better than I can. Well, there there have been numerous studies, and I, I won't try to quote too many of them because I may end up getting certain details wrong. Don't be afraid to fail. Per, <laughs> percentages Sorry. and Sorry. you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't like to misconstrue facts. We'll put it that way. Oh. Uh, See a salesman at heart. Here we go. <laughs> uh, but but really, what it comes down to is that a, a brewery can certainly help prop up many other elements of a community. If you have a a, a tap room or a tasting room, then you're going to need people who are going to serve that beer. You obviously need brewers to make the beer; otherwise, you have nothing whatsoever. Uh, as breweries get a little larger, they probably need somebody who's going to serve to maintain equipment. So you're going to need a maintenance team. You're going to need people who are going to package the beer uh, aside from the brewers. Brewers have to spend time creating recipes and fine tuning those recipes and, and looking at quality. Uh, so now you've got packaging Then then you're looking at probably a, a salesperson who's out spreading the word. And, and if you're not working with a wholesaler, then you're out on the streets yourself, just trying to get a bar to take a chance on you or, to get a local, a, a local a beer store, a liquor store to, to carry you on their shelves. And then you probably need a greeter. And if you have an interest in food, then you may have the need for chefs. So, I mean, you know, the ball goes bigger and bigger and bigger. So you're looking at hopefully adding jobs to a community. Um, the beer industry itself, I believe it employs something close to well, I know it's in the hundreds of thousands of people and, and and certainly could be well over half a million people in this country when you talk about all of uh, the phases that it touches from our beer wholesalers who 
work with breweries to make sure that beer gets properly placed on shelves on tap. They're delivering kegs and cases of, of beer. Um, they're, they're receiving trucks. I, I mean, it really is in, in a, a sense, an incredibly important fabric of the economy of the United States. And you could make an argument, the world. Yeah. I, I'm up vacationing up in up in North Carolina, and I'm just lamenting the fact that we're in a dry county. And it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because there's nothing more, you know, it's exciting to go, you know, you go out, you go hiking, you do some fun things, and you just want to go hit a brewery and sample some cool new flavors and, you know, check out stuff on the menu. And it's like it's being withheld from everyone, and that's just my own personal issue with that um because these are little sleepy towns i think they they could really benefit from this now obviously you guys oh no you said you do all your brewing there in hershey so when you expand let's say down to Asheville, so you're simply just selling bottles or, or cans to what i mean do you get into restaurants i mean what's or is it just grocery stores at that point all of the above. I mean, the first thing you have to do is you have to appoint a wholesaler, someone who is going to be your representative. You know, they have they have a sales staff on hand. They've got the infrastructure to deliver beer to all of the uh, businesses that own liquor licenses within the footprint in which they distribute beer. Um, trying to undertake that sort of effort as a brewery you know, five states away, six states away, 400 miles away, whatever it might be, it, it's it's an insane amount of resources and absolutely doesn't make sense. So once you determine the, the wholesaler that you want to do business with, typically they're going to be like-minded. You're going to have uh, certain things in common. There will hopefully be quite a bit of enthusiasm for what it is you are selling. Um, we then really make it mandatory to have someone who is employed by the brewery in that market acting as essentially an ambassador. They they become trogues in their market. So whoever it is that we hire in whichever market that we're talking about, you know, we're looking for various qualities that are going to be very similar to the brewery and the people that work in Hershey and, you know, uh, oftentimes there a lot of things are shared in common. Everyone is going to be their own unique personality, but there's a work ethic that typically we find pretty commonplace among the people that we're hiring. And like I said, a pride for working for this brewery, but a, a, a pride for a job well done and, and, and um, just all in all really uh, love the fact that they're working for a brewery that is family owned independently, independently owned and operated and, you know, in a, in a way, we're that little engine that could. Well, I mean, to think about how difficult it is, as you said, to create beer, brew it, bottle it, market it, and then keep it fresh and then expand out all the number of states that you do, you know, it just shows that you just can't do it overnight. And it really is this, you know, I encourage people to go to the website, you know, check it out because you can see the the early stories. I mean, it's really fascinating to see. Again, another classic American story of just starting small and you grind, you know, and and, and you and you get there. Now, another uh, kind of question that just comes to my mind, you talk about distributors. 
or is it a distributor or, or wholesaler you're talking about? It really depends on what part of the country that you're in, okay. Tony. Uh, right. Either one works, though. Same same idea, but maybe slightly di- different terminology. Correct. In, in some lines of, of food or even work, you, you don't want to put competing products together with with a distributor. So are there certain distributors that focus more on craft beer and specialty brands, or do you seek out just the distributors that just have the, the reach that, that you're looking for? That's a, that's a fantastic question. Um, really, you know, and it's not an easy answer. Uh, if I may sidestep slightly, um, the, the, the crucial element is, you know, you're looking at a company in a wholesaler that you're going to appoint to represent you where they are going to most likely have your rights in perpetuity. I mean, it really truly is like a marriage for better or worse. And nobody ever wants that marriage to end in the worst way. So you're trying to find someone who has similar philosophies, similar business practices is what you have. Um, most likely you're going to be networking with other breweries and perhaps, you know, several who are represented by, by a wholesaler. Um, you know, I was responsible for, uh, opening up Connecticut for us. And, you know, the way that, that we went about doing that was I spent three days and I say undercover, um, I didn't want to be swayed by any wholesalers that wanted to represent us. So I didn't let any of them know that I was coming into the state. Undercover boss. Yeah, exactly. And I just, I went around to some key retailers throughout the state in various parts of it. And I had an idea of who the wholesalers were in each region of that state and, and politely interviewed them really, for lack of a better term. And, you know, we ranged from customer service to dependability to knowledge of beer, um, staff turnover to a variety of things. And then once we sort of built that dossier, if you will, you take the opportunity to interview the actual wholesalers. Uh, it's, it's, It's very much like a job interview. It is you know, unlike a marriage, hopefully, um, it's going to be very businesslike, <laughs> you know, you are, you're trying to get to know each other, but, but it's a business transaction. And ultimately though, it's one that you're hoping is going to go on for years, if not multiple decades. So, and, you know, I, I think any wholesaler would say this about any brewery that the chances of one happening, that's going to be absolutely perfect are, are minimal each side is going to have their growing pains, but really it's up to the two of you to try to work together in a common direction to achieve the end results. Um, But ultimately, you know, as breweries, we have to remember the most important thing to us is not always the most important thing to our wholesaler. And you have to sort of understand that, and, and this is where empathy comes in, that they're going to have a whole host of struggles and challenges. And while you may share some of them, they're probably going to be on a much larger scale than yours because they're probably representing another, you know, anywhere from another 50 to 200 breweries 
And so you have to pick, you know, the, the right time and place, but at the same time, you also have to be true to your own cause and, and make sure that uh, whatever decisions you're making in that marketplace are going to be the best for your business, your beer, your team, not just for that day, that month, that quarter, that year, but moving forward. It sounds like being a VP of sales in the beverage space is pretty complicated because you, you are managing these these relationships that you don't have a lot of control over, it sounds like. Very different than having your own sales staff where you can you know, structure and manage and develop, which is I know what you do you know really well, but it sounds like there's a whole lot more involved than what most people would imagine. You know, there's a there's a joke within the industry that a lot of people think, and and it's a it's a funny meme. I'll have to see if I can uncover it somewhere. But you know what my friends think I do at work. Oh yes, what, what my mom thinks I do, and da, 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 what my family one. thinks I do. You know, right. in, in all of the pictures of uh, are of people just sitting around drinking beer, and <laughs> while that is a a, a wonderful benefit. Of, of the job, don't get me wrong. Um, right. It is such a minimal part of what we do. It's like and what I actually do, and like there yes. you are behind it, right? Precisely, precisely. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of look at it as it's like life. Um, it life can get very complicated very easily if you let it, and you you really have to think about controlling what you can control. Hopefully, decisions you're making are right decisions. You have to treat people with respect and don't make a lot of snap decisions. You, you know, there are certain things where you can say right away, yeah, I know that's a bad idea. Or, you know what, oh, that's that's a good idea. Let's roll with it. Uh, but overall, I think it's it's you have to you have to take the long view with a lot of what you're doing. And the one thing the brothers have taught me, because I being a salesperson, I, I think it's it's only natural for most of us to be very competitive, to want to win, and to be fiercely proud of whatever it is we're selling. And I am a a very passionate person. I've got a lot of energy. I think a lot of my friends would kind of laugh or even colleagues within the industry and, and say, yeah, you're not shy to let your opinion be known, but the the fact of the matter is I've learned not to get too high and not to get too low because whatever might seem like a terrible setback one day could all of a sudden be completely corrected by something completely different the next. And so you really just have to keep on an even keel. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why this business has been so successful is because Chris and John Trogner, the brothers who run the company, approach their business like that day in and day out. Well, and you obviously have figured this out, which is what has enabled you to move from just opening up a market now to running all the markets. So what are, are there any other you know trends that are happening out there in, in beer that, that we should know about? Anything kind of interesting coming down the, the pike? It seems is like it there's pike something. Is it, pipe? is it pipe or pike? Uh, it can be both. And again, I think that's that's a uh, it, it's depending upon where you live. You know. <laughs> yeah, potato, potato. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I've heard I've heard both. Uh, 
I think, you know, if you are um, constantly on message boards or uh, connected to the Internet, there's probably 8 million new things that are happening every day. But really, you know, what's exciting is the fact that I want to say around the turn of the 20th century, uh, prior to Prohibition, or I'm sorry, just past, just after Prohibition, I think there were somewhere in the neighborhood of like 18 to 30 breweries. And now there are well over 8,000 closing in on, I believe, there may be over 9,000 with new brewery and planning licenses. So clearly, Americans have caught the bug. And, you know, just about anybody who you know, or if you sit down and have a beverage, most people know craft beer and just the breadth of beer styles. And, and I don't think the vast majority of Americans really understand the versatility that beer has, especially when it comes to beer and food pairing and just all of the different styles. You know, you can boil it down to there are ales and there are lagers. Not all lagers are ales. Not all ales are lagers. But almost any beer fits in either one of those categories. And there are so many different subcategories and there are different takes on different styles. And the, the creativity that exists within this industry is just its absolutely mind-boggling. It's like with any industry. There's always going to be innovation. There's always going to be someone who takes a style that maybe is uh, taken for granted and they just go in a completely different direction and all of a sudden people are just completely surprised and blown away by – by what's in front of them. Uh, you know, as far as, as we're concerned, like I mentioned earlier, we've been in business for well over 20 years. We're still just in 10 states. And, and you know, there are people that live within five miles, a couple miles of our brewery who still don't even know who Trogues is. <laughs> you told me about this. Yeah, and, and I think that's, that's probably the case. That's pretty humbling, right? I mean, it's incredibly humbling. And, and that's also, though, a great motivator in terms of wanting to make sure that, that we can gain more exposure, that there are more opportunities to be unlocked. And, and just to remind you that, well, okay, you know, we're, we're a fairly well-known brewery within our space, but, you know, you step outside of this building and there could be, you could very well walk into some, uh, walk up to someone and uh, they have no idea what Trogues is, who Trogues is, what a Trogues is. And <laughs> What's a Trogue? <laughs> that's, that, we get asked that every day. <laughs> Actually, it, it give you just a, a little background on our name. So um, the, the brother's last name is spelled T as in Tom, O-R-T-R-O-G-N-E-R. The Flemish word for pub is Krog, K-R-O-E-G. So we just basically combined their surname with the Flemish word, and there you go, Trogues. Now it makes sense. And I realized that I could have pronounced it right because you do have the little dots over the O. So it is trying to help. The umlauts, are, the, the umlauts are there for marketing as much as anything. I think uh, when, when the brewery was founded, there probably weren't any breweries in the country that had an umlaut. So you know what? The brothers also are uh, – I can't really call them children anymore, but they were uh, children in the 90s. And, you know, maybe there was a Motley Crue influence. I don't know. I'm 
Right. It, it does look cool. All right. I mean, why not? It does. It does have a thing. Well, this might be a really dumb question, though, but you talk about all the interesting food pairings. Is that does that kind of enter into the thought process for like new markets? OK, for example, there is such a huge thing going on uh, starting in California. They're very food forward and it's coming over to the rest of the country with the, the idea of plant based foods. So mm-hmm. do you all sit around and go, okay, here are the the top, you know, plant-based foods and we need to come up with something that's gonna pair well with a a fake burger. <laughs> I think or is it now you're just gonna do you and and other people will just figure out how it fits in their menu. Well, you know, that that may happen at some point. It could happen subconsciously, but John, who is the brewmaster, has a phrase of saying, you know, we like to drink a beer in our head before we create the recipe. So by knowing – Okay, that's kind of a mind blower. Yeah, it, it is. And, and if you think about it, I mean to someone who's tremendously creative, I think it probably makes a lot of sense. It's harder for those of us that are maybe, you know, sort of the put one step in front of the other and – you know, the black and white approach. But, you know, he thinks about the ingredients, the various hop combinations and the attributes, the flavor profiles, the aromas that various hops have. And then knowing the properties that, excuse me, grain, malt bring to the table and how they're going to compare. And so much like a chef, you're taking those ingredients and, you know, you might dry hop with, a certain hop at a, a various point in the brewing process. You might add certain hops just uh, as bittering hops with the idea that they're not going to play into the aroma of the beer as much because you're going to then bring other hops in. And once you finally get to a place where you feel like all of the ingredients have, have reached uh, harmony, then it's pretty easy to sit down based on what that beer aroma is, how it finishes, the various flavor profiles that uh, that your palate is going to identify, what sort of foods are going to mix well with that. And that's where our kitchen team comes in here at the, at the brewery. We've got a wonderful tasting room and an incredibly talented uh, staff. We, we have a menu that flips about four times a year. They try to use as much local ingredients as possible. I mean, we're very fortunate being in the part of Pennsylvania where we are, where we've got so much agriculture at our fingertips. We've just got all kinds of things from, you know, local farms of, of, of produce to livestock, um, really just a, a, a treasure trove of riches. And they'll take our menu of beers and put together appetizers, large plates, various entrees, desserts, hopefully made with as many local ingredients as possible that pair really well with a specific beer. And they do that up and down the menu, like I said, about four times a year. So they go hand in hand. And, you know, both the brothers also enjoy their time in the kitchen. And so, you know, they bring their own cooking experiences into brewing, but the menu creation and everything as well. I told you they're involved with all aspects of the brewery. Man, I've never wanted to move north more than right about now. <laughs> and just go in and, you know, sample all the different 
food and beers. That this is really what is missing from some of these the, these small towns. And I think it's very easy to see why you know when you are hiring your salespeople that you just identify people who are passionate, right? And um, can kind of get behind the beer because once they do, then their natural gifts, I'm sure, just just shine through. If someone's not passionate about what they're doing, then uh, they're just going through the motions and they're just, they're not going to survive and they're not going to be able to make it through those. What'd you say? 25 events a quarter. So <laughs> they're going to be dragging. Right. And, but you're not dragging when you've got, got something cool like that going on. It's true. You have to be driven. I mean, you really have to have a sense of purpose and that's how I got into beer. So I, I guess it's because yeah, I could literally talk to you for a long time, a lot more about beer. Uh, you've pro- you've forgotten more about beer than, than I know, <laughs> but there are VP sales out there who are they are having trouble with turnover, right? They don't have the cool experience of saying, "Hey, I work for a brewing company." Not everybody gets is fortunate to to work in beer. So, do you have any practical tips for maybe? developing or, or hanging on to salespeople or motivating them, anything that maybe could help a VP sales uh, do a better job with their, with their sales team? You know, as important as relationships are to selling, they're as important to making sure your team is happy. I mean, the first, the first thing you have to do is you have to make sure your people are set up for success and, that is by supplying them with the proper tools and resources and support. You know, they need to know that if they have a question, they can come to you and ask, or they can, in my case, I've, I'm very fortunate to have several managers underneath me that are managing our street team. And I'm constantly trying to make sure that Everyone on the team, whether it is the, the direct managers reporting to me or the, the person whom we just hired, who I still haven't met yet because of the pandemic and was hired over virtual meetings. And that is true. We have a couple people on our sales team where that's the case, um, that they are as comfortable going into a, a bar, a restaurant, a liquor store, a beer store to sell our beer as someone who's been with us for 14 years and you, you just, you have to put people in a position to succeed, make sure that they feel confident and have, have resources at their fingertips. And we're constantly refining our approach with how we're working with our team. And, and I, I focus on training a lot. And I think, you know, as the longer you, you get settled into a position like the one I'm in, the easier it is to take for granted experiences you've had over the years. And I know um, the biggest thing, theme, I should say, that we will be focusing on when the team comes back to the brewery for the first time since uh, the end of February 2020, they'll be back here the early part of July, is we're going to be focusing on a lot of basic selling skills and essential things. Just making sure that we're remembering you know, how to operate at a base level and not taking for granted that everyone remembers how to do the most inane part of their job or something that they hadn't done for the last 14 months because the vast majority of, of, of the job was done virtually. 
Yeah, you got you got to keep your chops sharp. It goes back to you know you asked before life can get complicated in this and again it's it's trying to put one foot in front of the other make sure you're keeping things simple enough not overwhelming people with too much information but the right information and i can be guilty of providing too much information i'm sure many of us can but when you have built a relationships with your managers who are able to tell you hey you know what i think we're overwhelming them with a few things let's strip a couple of things back that that helps. It's crucial. Man, you just hit on a, on a point that we could spend more time on, but the longer you've been in a role, the more you get into that SME category, that becomes the biggest problem is giving less information and keeping it simple. We've all heard that analogy. So that's very good, good you know, wise advice when you're trying to build up your sales team. They don't necessarily need everything and you know, sometimes just getting back to the essentials is, is really all they need. You have to continue to build on them. But I think making sure that you keep those essential experiences and essential tools in front of everyone and make sure you're building off of those, it's it's going to be a recipe for success, you know, so long as you're paying attention to all the right things. So as we as we wrap up, is there any unique job opening or any need that's occurring somewhere in the organization that someone listening is now thinking, this is my kind of company that you'd like them to maybe reach out to you? We actually have two right now. We have an opening for a sales position in Northern Virginia that would handle the Winchester Springfield markets, basically the DC suburbs, as well as DC itself. And uh, we're looking for a sales analyst, someone who would serve as my right hand and helping us interpret data, look at trends, try to uh, dive and and dig deeper into existing trends um, to uncover opportunities. And we've got someone who's been with us for a couple of years who uh, found a great opportunity in moving out west. And it's it's a it's a loss. I think it's gonna it's gonna be great for that person. But uh, we're looking for someone to fill his shoes. Well, there you go. So we've got a, a sales role in Northern Virginia, and then a sales analyst there, um, based at the, the corporate office. Right, the, the corporate office is right there. It's in Hershey as well, based at the brewery. So you can. Experience oh, what my experience. what my friend think I do right. Yeah, <laughs> you can experience the the wonders of our kitchen on a daily basis. Tony quickly redoes his resume from executive <laughs> recruiter to sales analyst. <laughs> well, again, Jason, we could talk for a longer period of time and get more nuance, but I think everyone's gotten a great insight into you know, selling and being successful in this kind of uh, environment and kind of setup, whether it's distributors or, or wholesalers. And um, obviously, you are a great brand ambassador for, for Trogues. So thank you very, very much for being here today. And I do recommend people hit the website because it's kind of a cool story. And by the way, can people order beer directly from, is there an e-commerce site on, on the website or no? Uh, unfortunately, due to laws, we are not allowed to ship directly to people. That is something that 
COVID though has loosened up in a sense and in some states and in some ways. Uh, we could ship in Pennsylvania direct to people. It's something that's in development and perhaps down the road uh, will become a little bit more prevalent and uh, we'll see how that, how that comes along. Trogues.com certainly. But Tony, it's been a real pleasure to get to know you a little bit and certainly to speak with you. And I, I appreciate the platform tremendously. Well, thank you for subjecting yourself to a completely off script conversation because uh, it just got a lot more interesting than what um, maybe you and I had thought we were going to talk about in the the first place. I I hope people find it that way. If there's anything, uh, any little tidbit they can take away, then hopefully this has served that purpose. Oh, I think so. I think so. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jason. Thank you, Tony. Again, my pleasure. Enjoy your vacation.